Hey friends, it's me, Chris, and today I'd like to share with you my notes that I took when I was at the 2018 TEA Summit in Anaheim, California. Uh, it's about a month ago that I attended this great experience to learn about the greatest new attractions in the themed entertainment industry. It's been about a month since I was actually there learning about the greatest new projects in the themed entertainment industry, but I have my notes in front of me and I'm very grateful that I attended the TEA Summit. I got to learn how the greatest new projects in themed entertainment came about because there was a whole lot of work and effort and dedication that went into creating these new attractions that millions of people get to enjoy every year in many cases. And uh, it's really special that I was able to learn about them from the people that actually made them happen from the designers to the people that had the money that made it happen. It takes all sorts of people to create these new attractions, and I'm really glad that I was able to learn from them. So that was really special. So in this episode, I'm going to take out my notes. I have them in front of me that I took during the 2018 TEA Summit Case Studies Day, where I was uh, sitting in on these presentations, and I'm going to go through them, read through them, share them with you, the listener. If you'd like to hear about my trip report of attending the 2018 TEA Case Studies Day, that is an episode of Intern Views, uh, just about two or three episodes previous in this feed. Um, so I would highly recommend that you check that out as well. It was a lot of fun to make it, just uh, periodically take my phone out, record a few thoughts uh, throughout my trip there. It was a short trip, but it was packed with action. And uh, it was a whole lot of fun, so I would recommend that you go check that out as well in my feed for Intern Views. And if you haven't done so already, why don't you go subscribe to Intern Views and follow me on Twitter as well, um, at Intern Views Pod on Twitter. Uh, I'm not doing a whole lot with that yet, but there's always more that can be done, so look forward to that as well. And without further ado, let's get into the case studies. One of the first presentations for the day was Ghost Town Alive at Knott's Berry Farm. And there was uh, Ken Parks and Eric Nix who were responsible for the creation of Ghost Town Alive. They were presenting on uh, at the Case Studies Day. Left hand clap. Now clap your knees. Now well, how did hand. this, stranger? Pass I don't think I've seen you around these parts. We're going to turn out today. Let's start Heel, dancing. They went into how Knott's Berry Farm began, and it originally began um, when they needed to give people something to do when they were waiting for tables at Mrs. Knott's famous chicken uh, restaurant that they had, because apparently she had really good fried chicken, and I haven't had it yet, but I'm planning on having it for the first time in 2018, so I'll be able to give you my thoughts on that as well. But apparently it was really good chicken. People waited hours for it, and they had nothing to do. So the Knotts family, they began to build these uh, tableaus of uh, Ghost Town in the wild, wild west that became Ghost Town at Knotts Berry Farm, where we would have little holes in the wall where you could peek into little shops or, or scenes that were happening of static figures. And uh, that's how what eventually became the amusement and theme park of Knotts Berry Farm got started. And it was uh, really cool that they... Uh, began their presentation with uh, the beginning of the park itself that hosted this great new project in themed entertainment. 
The goals for them were to uh, allow guests to be able to easily jump into the narrative whenever or wherever they wanted to um, at any point in the day. So it wasn't something that if you weren't there at Rope Drop at the opening of the theme park that day, you wouldn't be lost. You'd be able to jump in and get involved and get um, immersed and entertained in the environment throughout the entire day. And I thought that that was very special that they made that happen to really have mass appeal for anyone and everyone visiting Knott's Berry Farm uh, when they have Ghost Town Alive running. They also wanted guests to be able to spend a long time in Ghost Town Alive. They wanted it to become a marketable attraction itself, like uh, like the Calico Mine Train or even Accelerator um, at Knott's Berry Farm. In addition to those thrill rides and the themed rides, they wanted this uh, bit of immersive theater to be able to be an attraction in its own right and bring people to the park for Ghost Town Alive. And for the development of Ghost Town Alive, they made the specific effort to stay away from mobile phone applications, augmented reality, and other digital technology that could have definitely been utilized at any other park that maybe wanted to do something similar. Because they wanted to keep it simple, keep it easily understandable, and keep it to the roots of Knott's Berry Farm. The tagline for them was, people connecting with other people. And I thought that was very important and very resonant in how they uh, presented Ghost Town Alive that morning at the Case Studies Day. They wanted people connecting with other people, and by the looks of it, they did that successfully. They made a specific effort to not promise guests anything as to what they could experience at Ghost Town Alive, because as I learned in my services marketing class, it's important sometimes to under-promise and over-deliver with service quality. And so they did that here. They made no promises so that they broke no promises with Ghost Town Alive. And I thought that that was a very important uh, thing that they did there. They gave us some numbers when they were discussing Knott's Berry Farm uh, and Ghost Town Alive. They said that it took 35 cast members to staff Ghost Town Alive as a bit of immersive theater and 27 per day. So this is a pretty uh, large operation, um, especially considering that this is one attraction uh, at the park, one large attraction, it takes 27 people per day to staff it. So that's uh, pretty substantial. Some creative things that they did in creating Ghost Town Alive was that they had newspapers that were released throughout the day that um, were put out to update new guests on the storylines and the developments of what was happening. Another fun thing that they had was they had a barber, and of course they didn't want to cut people's hair and, and groom them in that sense, but they did give people mustaches with grease paint. And uh, these mustaches were a bit of interactivity as well because they allowed other cast members throughout the day then to react to your choice of mustache. If you got this wiry, uh, wiry mustache, you'd maybe be a thief. So people would be suspicious of you and say, hey, don't be a thief or something like that. Or if you had a very bushy mustache, you may be a well-to-do visitor and an investor or a prospector uh, coming in to see all of the new business developments at Ghost Town. Um, so they used mustaches that they would paint on you to help you become a character in your own right with uh, Ghost Town Alive. And I thought that was also very creative and very interesting. Next in the presentation, they went off to the effects of Ghost Town Alive and implementing it. 
they found that the average guest spent around five hours per day in Ghost Town Alive. And when you think about all of the other great attractions and huge roller coasters that Knott's Berry Farm has, having five hours in this one section that doesn't have accelerator or eventually hang time or, or the boardwalk even, uh, it's very special that they were able to create something that uh, thrilling and gripping for people to keep them in that area for five hours out of their uh, busy day at Knott's Berry Farm. They also did find that it increased merchandise sales and food and beverage sales and even season passes as well. And uh, as, uh, for the thrill seekers, it did decrease wait times at the other part, the other attractions around the park, like those huge roller coasters that I, I just mentioned. Uh, it made it very easy to see that this is a very well-deserving winner of a Thea Award for 2018. They're really doing something special down in, uh, in Knott's Berry Farm. And while I haven't experienced it yet, I am so looking forward to going in, getting some sort of mustache to determine whether I'm a thief or a, an investor or some hero of some sort. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into that immersive theater when I move down to Anaheim for my Disney College program in just a few months. So I'm planning on being a pass holder to uh, Knott's Berry Farm and Ghost Town Alive is a huge reason why. The next project that I'm going to share my notes with you is Symbolica at Efteling, which is a, uh, and a pretty amazing theme park in the Netherlands. They opened their presentation by giving us some facts about the history of the park, how it opened in 1952, and that throughout the lives of each Dutch citizen, 98% of them will visit Efteling at some point in their life, and I thought that's pretty amazing. Efteling has uh, become a part of the fabric of Dutch society. I thought that was very cool. At Efteling, they say, uh, they say this tagline. They say that they're not selling tickets, but they're selling memories. And uh, I've noticed a similar trend with a, uh, a lot of theme parks around the world, how they want to stress the memories, the experiential aspect of attending the theme park as uh, the product, being the memories that you take home. I believe Dollywood has a tagline of memories worth repeating, or something similar to that. I think Cedar Point has a similar tagline about memories as well. So it's, uh, it's interesting to note that the theme parks have begun to market the product of attending the theme park as the memories. Now back to Efteling, uh, when they kept continuing with their history of the park before they led into the development and implementation of Symbolica, their amazing dark ride, which is the 2018 Thea Award winner, uh, that they were presenting on. When they then went on to introducing Symbolica and how they came about creating this amazing dark ride, they listed out 10 commandments that they needed to observe to have a successful ride in their eyes. And here they are. 
Number one, it needed to be a ride that the whole family could enjoy. They have roller coasters at the park um, that they first put in in the late 80s or early 90s, I believe. And while they did do huge numbers for them, they weren't something that the whole family could enjoy together. So when they uh, went about to plan Symbolica, they wanted it to be something that the whole family could enjoy, and they got that with Symbolica. Number two, they wanted to create a symbol, get it, a symbol, Symbolica, symbol of Efteling with this new ride. They wanted to have a story that could be used and expanded upon, and they did that with Symbolica. Number three, they wanted to use proven technology that would be reliable, that wouldn't have a lot of downtime and have a high throughput, and then they could worry about all of the special effects and animatronics that they added as well to uh, then really elevate it into something special. Uh, so that was the third commandment of proven technology that they used. The fourth commandment for Symbolica was a capacity constraint. They needed to have a ride that would have an hourly throughput of more than 1,400 people. And when you think about most rides at amusement parks or theme parks, that is pretty high. Now, there are the uh, incredibly high-capacity rides like Omnimovers and, and some roller coasters that have uh, capacities of 2,200 people. But when you think about hourly throughput at most parks around the United States and the world, a lot of times uh, the average roller coaster would maybe get 750 people per hour. Um, the really high-capacity ones maybe get... Uh, 1,100 people per hour. Uh, so to have Efteling and to have Symbolica, which would be a ride that had more than 1,400 people per hour, uh, that was something that would be pretty impressive. And they uh, did that with Symbolica. For the fifth commandment of Symbolica, they wanted it to have a showtime which would last more than 360 seconds. So that is a pretty long ride experience, especially when you combine it with their capacity constraint of more than 1,400 people. So they really had to get creative, uh, use different ride tracks to make this entire experience happen, and, uh, and they did that with Symbolica to create uh, an experience that would allow you to really get immersed in it because you've been steeped in it for a considerable amount of time throughout the queue and then through the ride itself, which would last more than 360 seconds. The sixth commandment of Symbolica at Efteling was that they needed to have several options with their dark ride uh, to really make it a unique and re-rideable experience. And as, uh, as you'll see if you ride Symbolica, there are several different paths that the ride system can take you through. And you don't get to see the whole ride by riding it once. So it really is uh, re-rideable. And I think they have a total of four different ride experiences that you can get on Symbolica, and that's really special. The seventh component of Symbolica was that they needed to have an interactive component to the ride. And if you look at the ride vehicles, they have uh, a touchscreen interface right in front of each rider in interaction with the ride to really get you engaged and get you immersed in the environment as well. The eighth commandment of Symbolica, they needed to create the story of the ride at Efteling so that it fit in with the other attractions and lures that they have developed over the decades and really make it something that fits in very well. The ninth commandment of Symbolica was the budget. They needed to spend less than 35 million euros. And uh, that is a lot of money for a ride, so starting out with such a, uh, a high cap, 
It allowed them to really create something special with Symbolica. And finally, the Tenth Commandment was when they needed to have it open by, and they uh, had a mandate it needed to be open by July 1st, 2017, and spoiler alert, they did it. They created Symbolica, this famously successful dark ride utilizing all of these amazing proven technologies to create a, an incredibly rewritable ride that is interactive components, and it's a beautiful, of course. Throughout the entire ride, it's so beautiful. Um, it is designed to be a 360-degree attraction, so you can move your head around, and you will always be in the Symbolica universe when you're riding. So that's uh, very special, and it's something that a lot of rides at a lot of parks don't do. Even some uh, dark rides, which are considered pretty immersive, if you look and turn your head one way at some point in the ride, you may see uh, a service exit or a, an unpainted, unthemed wall. But that is something that they really uh, didn't have in Symbolica. So to conclude the Symbolica presentation by Efteling, they listed what Symbolica did for them. It boosted their attendance 10.8% year-over-year for 2017, uh, so that they had 5.18 million visitors in 2017 because of Symbolica. So as you can see, with these Ten Commandments that they set forth to have a clear idea of what they needed to do and how they needed to do it, they really created an incredible dark ride in Symbolica that is paying dividends for them uh, ever since it's opened. The next case study presentation that I'm going to share with you is the Jameson Distillery uh, refurbishment and revamp that they did uh, just a few months ago. They opened by saying that a good story is not devised but distilled, and I thought that was pretty amusing and pretty fitting for the Jameson brand. Now with this distillery refurbishment and this brand experience that they created, they spent 11 million euros on it, so they really put a lot of money into expanding the total capacity of the experience that they offered uh, people that went into this brand experience for Jameson and refurbished it to really make it something special and eventually a TEA case study Thea winner. They made it so that the Jameson distillery would create brand uh, advocacy through brand immersion of everyone that attended the uh, distillery tour and experience and it's really it's something that if you go to Ireland and you go to the Jameson distillery it's something that can really grow on you where you get to uh, have an affinity for Jameson after you visit those presentations were the highlights of the morning session of the 2018 TEA Case Studies Day and then we were out to lunch on the patio outside of the Disneyland Hotel where I got to breathe in the Southern California weather where previously as I left Missouri it was snowing so to be able to go and enjoy the Southern California Anaheim weather the sun filtering through the palm leaves it was sublime to say the least something that was very special for me at lunch, I was able to uh, stand in a very small group with the legendary and very active Imagineer Joe Rohde, who is responsible for so many Disney modern classics like Expedition Everest at Disney's Animal Kingdom, uh, much of the Pandora World of Avatar, 
uh, in, again, at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout at Disney California Adventure. And so he had a lot of amazing things to say. He's a man that is naturally eloquent with everything that he says, so it's a, it was really amazing to just stand in his presence and, and listen to what he had to say. When I joined in the discussion, he was talking about how to create and frame where you're going to go with your uh, designing of an attraction that is based off of an existing intellectual property, or IP. And he said that you really need to understand the underlying meaning and message and theme of that property and then design the attraction itself with this in mind so that you're not just rehashing what a movie or a TV show or even a book has already said. You're designing the attraction so that it is a companion piece to the existing property. And if you do that, you're going to be successful with your attraction design. He described it as sort of re-entering the property experience sideways instead of simply replicating it uh, like what a movie has done. And in using these existing IPs, you should, um, they should really serve as a marketing boost and not a design approach difference to creating a new attraction. The design of an attraction should remain as if it is a new and an unintroduced property. And I really think that that's very uh, important that he said that because, uh, for example, with Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, not everyone has seen Guardians of the Galaxy and not everyone is familiar with the characters even if they have seen it. So he described how um, it was very important that they make it understandable and enjoyable to those who both have seen Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout and all of the Avengers movies, and those who haven't, which is, again, a majority of the world. He designed the attraction of Flo so that when we saw Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt, we could see that he was uh, the cool guy or the leader of the group. When we would see the white-haired guy or the collector, we would be able to just know that he was the bad guy without having that prior experience in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. When we saw the little raccoon, or rocket raccoon, or rabbit, as Thor called him in Infinity Wars, we knew that he would be the tough guy of the group that would lead to a lot of comedic situations of him being a tiny raccoon, but as well as a, a very tough guy. The biggest surprise for me of the presentations at the 2018 TEA Case Study Day was about Gallipoli. It was a museum exhibit on New Zealand's involvement in World War I, of which it was a doomed campaign which really went on to shape a lot of New Zealand's identity and prompt their independence movement from Great Britain, eventually. Experience their story like never before. Gallipoli, the scale of our war, only at Tapapa. Now they wanted the, uh, the museum and this exhibit about Gallipoli to work and engage New Zealand audiences to make them really feel the realness and the grittiness of the campaign. And the centerpieces of the exhibit were uh, dioramas of people, be it soldiers, nurses, uh, families that were uh, just informed of the death of their uh, soldiers involved. And they were not just any dioramas that you'd see in a museum. They were photorealistic dioramas that were 2.4 times life-size. So there'd be uh, a man 
uh, laying or crawling in the dirt in one of these dioramas, but he, he'd be 2.4 times the size of a real man. So he'd be able to see these incredible details, these expressions on the faces of their uh, figures that really, uh, you need to go look it up. You need to go see these pictures. They, they were incredible, and they had such a, an attention to detail when they created these figures. They didn't just put regular fabric on their uniforms to create them. They, uh, they created a system that would weave fabric that made threads that were also 2.4 times life size. So they went incredibly far into the details, these gritty details, to create these figures that were incredibly powerful um, in conveying what they wanted to convey which is the loss of the campaign, the devastation that New Zealand saw, which eventually led to the independence movement to create their own state. To finish out the 2018 TEA case studies presentations, they had everything that Disney did in the past few years, and uh, they had four different award winners within the Disney company uh, at that time. They had Frozen Ever After, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, um, Pandora, World of Avatar, and Flight of Passage. When they started their presentation on Frozen Ever After, they mentioned the need that was created that eventually led to Frozen Ever After replacing Maelstrom in the Norway Pavilion. They said that they were starting to look for ways to refresh the Norway Pavilion at the time that around Frozen was about to premiere in 2013, so they uh, got an advanced screening of it and they knew... Uh, shortly afterwards that it was something that they were going to be able to use to create uh, Frozen Ever After and revitalize that section of Epcot in the World Showcase. A pretty unique technology that they highlighted in the creation of Frozen Ever After and uh, for some of Pandora was their uh, newest generation of audio animatronic design where first they would create a computer-generated rendering uh, of the character's movement, and then they would create the system that the movements in the rendering on the computer would then be translated onto uh, on the mechanical rig, and then the rig itself would then be programmed to do the same fluid movements of the computer-generated graphics of that, those renderings. And when they did the side-by-side -side imagery of the computer graphic of Elsa swishing her arms and moving and and, uh, and Olaf skating around. It was really special. You could really see how this is now the foremost technology for creating audio animatronics and how it's come a whole long way since the first audio animatronics of Disney in, uh, in the Tiki Room in 1963. Uh, something interesting that they noted about Frozen Ever After is when they had the obligatory let it go scene and it was a, a requirement they did that they did have to include let it go in the ride because if it's a ride about frozen how could you not include let it go <laughs> so when they built the let it go scene they did change one word in the song and they didn't change any other word in the line it's time to see what i can do that elsa sings they changed it to it's time to share what i can do and that really changed a lot of the meaning of the song of how she's not just discovering what she can do as this ice queen who has the power to destroy or um, the power to create. Oh, 
she is now in a place in the world of Frozen Ever After where she is able to share her powers to uh, demonstrate things and, and really work for the greater good of Arendelle. And that was uh, something special that they changed for Frozen Ever After. The next presentation by Disney was on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout at Disney California Adventure. There is a place like no other where a walk down, down Main Street can feed you. Hey, the name's Rocket, and I need your help. The Collector has trapped my friends, the Guardians of the Galaxy, in his weird freak show. Check it out. This is the joint we're in, and we need you to help us break out. Got it? Good. Now move it! Uh, I gotta go. Here, there is magic for days. And if you're not familiar with this attraction, it took over the existing ride system of the Tower of Terror uh, at Disney California Adventure, uh, utilizing the existing ride system and infrastructure, but changing everything else to make it a new attraction themed to Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, a very lucrative property in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they introduced Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout as taking an attraction that people were perfectly happy with and turning it into an attraction that they were more than happy with. And that was their goal there. And uh, so to change it, they really knew that they had to make something even better out of it. The challenge for them was to create the story for an attraction that communicated valuable meaning to all riders, including those that were had no familiarity with Guardians of the Galaxy and those that were maybe huge Marvel fans. They designed the attraction so that both groups of people could ride it and enjoy it. Um, they took the idea and the essence of what the property means, those themes involved in the property of Guardians of the Galaxy, and then used it for the ride. When applying this uh, concept that Joe Roydy discussed, these uh, Guardians of the Galaxy themes that they worked about were the subversion of power, the joyful abandonment, and irreverence that are um, shown throughout the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and in their involvement in Infinity War, of course, as well. Um, but don't worry, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. When they were creating the ride, they knew that there, in the movies directed by James Gunn, there was specifically very little gray and very little black at all in the movies, despite it being in space. So they knew that when they were designing the ride, they needed to be very little gray or black correspondingly uh, in the ride as well. They listed that the opening timeline for the ride itself was forced by the Guardians 2 premiere, which was in uh, May of... 2017 um, and they did a whole lot of work they did it in less than six months and to do that they prefabricated so many elements of it off-site and beforehand and then they would um, work very furiously once they finally did close down uh, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror to create this new attraction they did a whole lot of the work beforehand they closed Tower of Terror they uh, installed and designed and, and fixed everything and then reopened it less than six months later, which was nearly impossible, but they did it. They figured out a way to do it, and they did it. The final two presentations were on Pandora World of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And uh, Joe Rohde introduced it that they needed to, similarly to Guardians, they needed to go past the subject of uh, Avatar, that 2009 movie that a lot of people watched, but 
it's not as culturally relevant anymore. They needed to go past that subject to the base meaning of what Pandora was going to be. And that allowed them a lot of freedom in their design and crafting of this environment that they created in Central Florida to create something that looked uh, alien, but slightly familiar if you have seen the movies. With the attraction storylines being the two attractions that they have there of Flight of Passage and uh, the Navi River Journey, they made the storyline so that they didn't have to worry about the characters and the linear plot, but about how you, the guest, are now a part of the story so that it becomes your story. And that was their goal for the storyline of the rides in Pandora. Now, when they were working on the premise of this Valley of Moara in Pandora, they pushed it to a setting far away from where the four scheduled, three or four, however many there are, scheduled sequels to the 2009 movie Pandora will be going, so that there won't be very much overlap between uh, the Valley of Moara in uh, Pandora World of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom and wherever the many movies will be going in the Pandora film franchise whenever that comes. They had a, a very important phrase that they listed in Pandora's presentation where theme influences everything. Uh, they were given a, uh, a property which was it, decently strong at the box office, but it hasn't stayed in the public's eye in the many years, almost 10 years, since it was in theaters. So they, they really took the theme and the meaning, the essence of Pandora and Avatar and that entire property to create something new with uh, the Valley of Moara at Disney's Animal Kingdom. The final presentation for the 2018 TEA Case Studies Day was on Flight of Passage, being the e-ticket ride of Pandora World of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Explore a place where you can fly on the back of a banshee. Walk under floating mountains and navigate a mystical river. Welcome to a world beyond belief. Pandora, the world of Avatar. Only at the Walt Disney World Resort. And they, uh, they said that they designed the queue as if it was a giant Superfund cleanup site. Now there has been cleanup. And as a privilege, uh, we are now able to uh, use avatars to experience riding banshees. And that is the premise of Flight of Passage. Uh, in the queue, they say that they uh, designed it so that they progressively put riders in smaller and smaller rooms, uh, which leads up to the big ride reveal of you flying on the banshee it is much more convincing in that way. They discussed in the presentation how adding Pandora was an expansion to Disney's Animal Kingdom that turned it finally into an all-day park where they could now have and offer nighttime offerings in addition to the uh, typical daytime offerings. They added the Rivers of Light night show, uh, which would then uh, be a, a pull factor to keep guests in the park later so that they could see this new show and then eventually uh, when Pandora opened to go in and see the bioluminescence throughout the uh, the land in the Valley of Moara.
And those were my notes from the 2018 TEA Summit Case Studies Day in early April when I attended in Anaheim, California. It was such a wonderful experience and I'm glad that I finally gotten the chance to share some of my notes with you. There were a number of other TEA case study presentations that day that I have not shared my notes with you due to time constraints, but um, I encourage you to go onto the TEA's website, that is the Themed Entertainment Association website, and to go look at the TEA case study winners because all of them are deserving. And uh, the presentations that they gave clearly outlined that they are amazing new projects in the Themed Entertainment Association and are so deserving of the recognition that they received at the summit in April. I hope that you get the chance to experience some of these amazing new projects in themed entertainment because there's so much more than just theme park rides. Yes, that's some of them, but then you have things like the Jameson Distillery Experience where it is a brand experience that uh, builds brand loyalty or the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which I had the opportunity of experiencing just this past January, and it is an incredibly powerful and beautifully designed museum that uh, you need to go check out if you are in the D.C. area. And it's free, so it's a, a really great opportunity for you, uh, as it would be with any of these TEA winners, um, and not just the ones that I have shared my notes with you, all of them. I'm Chris, and this is Intern Views. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode of Intern Views. I, uh, if you haven't noticed yet, I did get a new microphone, so hopefully the improved sound quality improves the quality of the show as a whole. That's the goal. And I'll say it again, if you haven't already subscribed to Intern Views on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast, I encourage you to do so. I will be participating in uh, the Disney College program at the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California, and you better believe I'm going to be uh, talking about my experiences working at the original theme park in Anaheim, California, and the world, the first theme park, the, the Waltz Baby, I guess you could call it. Um, I'm definitely going to be sharing my experiences with you um, as that draws nearer and as I go through it on intern views, because that is a sort of internship, of course. Um, that's why I named the show Intern Views. So I encourage you to subscribe to Intern Views if you haven't done so already. Um, if you'd like to share it with your friends, that'd be cool as well. If you'd like to give me a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, I'd definitely be very grateful for that as well. And again, I do have a Twitter account now for Intern Views that you can interact with me um, or, or share the content that Intern Views puts out. It is at InternViewsPod. InternViewsPod. Uh, that is the uh, Twitter handle for the account associated with this podcast. Give us a follow. We'll follow you back. Yes, we are cool like that. And uh, really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm Chris, and this is InternViews. <laughs>